Hey guys, welcome to Rankin Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made from best to worst. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's it going? Good. I uh, recently obtained a former blockbuster VHS copy of WWF In Your House. Ooh, which one? And I watched that today. One. Oh, in your first, house one. The first ever in your house, my god. The first ever in your house where they gave away a house <laughs> on a pay-per-view. Man, that was now what's incredible about that, did you get to the actual house giving away segment yet? Oh, absolutely. I watched the whole thing. Um It is uncomfortable. What I love about the house the spoiler, they give a house away. They call the man live. Uh, first of all, they forget to dial a one and on live television, they get the operator. We're sorry. We, you cannot complete your number as dialed. (laughs) It's incredible. And like they, they, I think, don't they call like a couple of people and they don't pick up? They call. So, so in, in your house one, they call one guy, but he's so incredulous. He's like, quit joking. And they're like, aren't you watching the pay-per-view? He's like, yeah, I have it on right now. He's like. So you can see me on the phone talking to you. He's like, well, yeah. And, but he's like, but quit joking. He's like, sir, you won the house in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> this is amazing. Because, Please like, take this from me so I can go home. Holy shit. This is like, I remember like when I was a, a young person listening to like morning radio shows, like before I would like go to high school, there was always the thing where they'd have to tell callers to like turn their radio down. Cause it's like, look, if you have your radio up, we're going to hear feedback of ourselves. Like this guy just being like, are, now are you telling me that you're calling me from the wrestling to give me a house? And it's like, sir, believe in magic. You're watching it happen live. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, I also like that they stir in, in order to make sure that everyone gets a fair shot. They take yard rakes and stir the giant bin of envelopes. How did they land at rakes? Like, did they workshop? Well, because they went into the the garage of the... So, like, on the stage, there's a facade of a house. So they open up the garage, and they're like, look, there's rakes. You know what? Actually, (laughs) that's exactly it. You know what I love? Is the fact that the In Your House pay-per-view took the brief as literally as they possibly could and just made the facade of a house on the entryway, which is also <laughs> weird because that implies that they are outside of the house. They're they're leaving the house to come to the ring. Like, it, it it's the early 90s. It's, it seems like they were kind of workshopping it or trying to figure out how they wanted to do In Your House. Because, like, especially at this point, I remember pay-per-view was such a big fucking thing like you'd you'd have it on the tv guide channel yeah i remember watching the trailers for it on the tv guide channel which um you know tune in and you can order this and like i was not into wrestling so i never right thought about it but it seemed like a really momentous thing yeah and during the this pay-per-view they made a very big deal that like this prize is part of our local cable channels. You can only see this on pay-per-view. It's only here. And really, if you didn't have pay-per-view, you would have to wait until it came out on video cassette. Probably, I don't know, probably months later. I cannot imagine those being hot off the heels of the live Rent, Renting a VHS copy of In Your House 1. Like, that's it's a sad state of affairs. Um, what, so what ghoul shit have you been consuming this week? 
well, Ryan, my stimmy came in. Oh. So uh, I bought uh, some horror Blu-rays. I bought the Agfa Horror Trailer Show. That's the American Genre Film Archive. Mm -hmm. So this is a Blu-ray that features 80 minutes of trailers from the 70s, 80s, and 90s strung together in the most psychotronic mixtape i've seen in a long time holy shit this sounds Just incredible mind meltingly bonkers so is it like it, it it sounds like is it as wild as i imagine it to be from based on that yes so this is not a new concept there's tons of this is a dvd of trailers and i have a lot of them and a lot of them are really fun but because it's the american genre film archive they have kept everything. Oh, okay. So it's the weird trailers of the movies that no one ever saw. It's like that fourth feature at the drive-thru midnight showing that no one was awake to watch. It's trailers <laughs> for those kinds of movies. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Honestly, the I, I think uh, VHS trailers are such a thing for me where, like, I remember I've never seen the movie Captain Ron but when I was a kid, I feel like I had, like, three different VHS uh, movies that, like, on the coming soon to video. And you'd always have, the, the first of all, the exact same guy giving that uh, delivery. And then the movie Captain Ron with uh, Kurt Russell was just all over those. And I feel like there are so many movies that just were preview movies that nobody has ever actually, like, gone to a theater to see. Yeah, and with my newfound, well, new old, my my recent trend in uh, Goolery mm -hmm. is collecting screener copies of VHS tapes, which are promotional VHS given to mom and pop video rental places mm -hmm. with a sizzle reel to convince them to purchase copies of the movie to rent to their customers. This is actually, if you look on YouTube, uh, Robert uh, Robert Goodsport England um, made one of these videos for uh, video chains to have Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master, and he is in full character as Freddy Krueger, like thanking them for distributing these movies. They're these are the best. They talk about if you buy if you buy two copies, you know, you'll get a ten percent discount on market. But right. like, if you buy four, you'll get a special standee with you know <laughs> a poster of Kurt Russell on one side and Bill Paxton on the other. Man, this is this is like another world. Are you familiar with the like three minute sizzler? commercial that is like trying to convince people it's from like the early early 90s and it's trying to convince uh people to open their own uh sizzler franchise <laughs> is it the one that's like hyper patriotic yes it's like sizzler is america <laughs> sizzler is the choice for america and you've got like you know a, a, a fisherman with a beard uh you know on a dock fishing with a kid and like a, a soldier kissing his sweetheart and it's just like i can't believe sizzler invented america like it's <laughs> I, I love this thing of like yeah sizzle sizzler reels to try to convince people to, to open open stores um so what ghoulish things have you been up to? Well, I have, so I've fallen down a yellow jacket hole because I'm reading a book right now called Plain Bad Heroines uh, that is a sort of brutal, like, it's kind of YA, like, gothic horror, but it's also, like, I think it flirts with uh, being in the YA milieu and then, like, quickly sort of swerves into 
you're going to need an adult for this in a lot of ways. Like, not only will you need a young adult, you'll need an old adult for this. Um, <laughs> and it's fucking great. Like, there's, you know, it's about this, like, sort of, it's kind of like Suspiria, where it's this, like, fancy boarding school off in the middle of fucking nowhere. And there's secrets, and there's like queer teens making it work and figuring stuff out and getting stung to death by yellow jackets. And I feel like lately, if, if it's not either a horror novel or a nonfiction book about bird watching, I kind of have no patience for it. Like I have <laughs> two things I want to do right now and it's consume horror and uh, look at birds. I also, and this is me bragging, I, this week, uh, submitted, for the first time in my life, a short story to a major venue for consideration. Um, Yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I, um, years ago, I had a, a, a friend at the time who was, a, like, a, a terrible person who, at the time, like, I, I sent them a thing that I was working on and was like, what do you think? And they're like, ew, gross. And I was like, okay, yeah, it's horror, it's body horror, but, like, is there anything else you can tell me? Like, nah, I don't really like horror. I don't, I don't really like this. And it's like, can you give me some constructive criticism? And they were like, shan't. Uh, and that just kind of, like, cut the legs out from under me. And, and so it took me until the fiscal year 2021 to get back in the saddle and, like, finish a thing and submit it. So I'm, you know what? I'm feeling pretty high on myself. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, that's awesome. I um, I came to a point where I decided uh, I would rather shit on other people's dreams than <laughs> create my own new works of art. So I decided to go into uh, film podcast. <laughs> exactly. Listen, we we're here to make people feel bad about trying. <laughs> like that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, speaking of feeling bad, let's talk about the uh, the movie we did for this week. Um. I first of all, I kind of can't believe we're just now talking about this movie because of how much we talk have talked about it on the podcast, and also uh, the makeup artist who worked on this movie, Screaming Mad George. We're talking about 1989's Society. Yes, this is directed by Brian Yuzna, which I think I think Yuzna's better known as a producer than a director. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he produced Reanimator, he almost produced all of Stuart Gordon's horror movies. He's kind of um, the flavor flave to Stuart Gordon's Chuck D. I think, <laughs> like he's he works in a lot of the same stuff, and he you know he's. Although side note, while researching uh, Society, did you know that Brian Yuzna and Stuart Gordon co-wrote Honey I Shrunk the Kids? I did because Brian <laughs> Yuzna has a writing credit on every. Honey, I shrunk, or honey, I verbed the uh, property. <laughs> honey, I verbed which the Which is wild that the man who directed Bride of Reanimator and who paid money for undulating sacks of woman flesh <laughs> in both society and Faust. Oh, that's right. He did do Faust. <laughs> Holy shit. I had forgotten. He's also... Um, <laughs> is also the one who worked on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You know what? It's good work if you can get it. Like, this is this is like the fact that Clive Barker wrote kids' books. Like, it's you might as well at that point. Or, or like, the fact that Ralph Bakshi did that Lord of the Rings animated movie. Like, you know what? Of course the guy who did fucking Heavy Traffic and Fritz the Cat would do a Lord of the Rings movie. Why not? Um, <laughs> now, the movie Society, this movie reeks of 1989. 
Yeah, it is very, very 80s. It is stinky. Like, it is, you think of 1989, like, all, all the colors are super saturated. The synth score is just rife throughout this movie. Um, and it's also, it's California in a way that I feel like, the last time I watched this movie, um, I think I didn't totally appreciate, but, like, it's just... It, it's like this entire thing is a really rude commercial about Los Angeles and also fancy neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's got a very uh, yuppie vibe to it. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, this was the United States like voring itself around yuppies and everybody having too much, like rich people having way too much money in the late 80s as a result of Reagan's terrible economic policies that cut the legs out from under the poor and middle class. Um, fuck Reagan. Uh, so the movies, at, at the top of the movie, uh, we we uh, realize that we're following a guy named Billy. Um, and Billy has the cutest, softest-looking little mullet I have ever seen. It is so short and subtle. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's like it's like an unplugged acoustic version of a mullet. Like it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's gentle. It's gentle. Um, and he uh, has a dream that is just sort of now you sort of realize uh, from Jump Street that this movie is going to be capital S surrealist. Yeah, because the whole thing is about like what is a hallucination and what is really happening because you just get billy like tripping balls yeah now and the the other thing that is incredible about this movie to me um they what apparently the way that they plotted this movie was they literally just started with the end of the movie and the wild like the wild body horror effects and the crazy set pieces and stuff they started with that and then worked their way back to figure out a plot to justify this bullshit. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, that's what I want. That's honestly what I want. Like it's and what they what they basically do uh from the start of it, you know, Billy has a bad dream about running through hallways and then we get him sitting in a therapist's office with a guy that kind of looks like Wallace Shawn from The Princess Bride. Yeah, but um but like a bargain Wallace Shawn. <laughs> Yeah, he he's like Wally Sean, spelled S-E-A-N, and he is... Now, I'm just going to uh, throw this out there. I don't think this guy follows uh, psychiatric uh, ethical guidelines. You know, it seems like most uh, movie psychiatrists from the 80s didn't follow. Yeah, yeah. Although, I, I think the, the high watermark for me with uh, horror movie therapists is uh, the therapist from Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, uh, played by uh, the immortal Margot Kidder. Like, that's a good fucking therapist. And I've been in therapy for, like, most of my life. I fucking love her as the, the therapist. Anyway, um, he hallucinates uh, at the therapist's office that he bites into an apple and it's full of writhing bugs. Yeah, so he's like, oh, no, bugs. And then there's this whole thing where his, his therapist is like, you know, you're you're going through psychosis and you're just seeing things. Right. And he, you know, expresses early on this feeling of like, ah, you know, like my my terrible uh, Beverly Hills parents and my mean sister. I just I feel really alienated from them and I feel like I don't totally belong. And I feel like this is the movie kind of looking at, you know, teen America and going, it do be like that, don't it, children? <laughs> Where it's like, I feel I feel alienated. Yeah, I was kind of even to the point where it. I was kind of asking myself, what am I supposed to take away from this movie? Is it just, yeah, uh, parents suck? 
because like at the end of the movie billy becomes this hero and it's like oh he was right rich people suck this whole time and like is that it because he doesn't dismantle the society (laughs) the the cabal in the shadows he just goes you all suck and i'm leaving And it's like, what is that trying to say? That's a great point, actually. Like, he, you know, we'll get into it. But yeah, he's not interested in, like, you know, fighting these oppressive structures. The moment he sees an exit, he's like, you know what? Have a, have a happy and a healthy, motherfuckers. I'm, I'm, I'm splitting for the coast and just immediately fucks off. Um, not, Warmest regard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, you know what? Maybe that's, maybe that's actually tonally honest for rich people actually experiencing consequences. Yeah, and and also a teenager (laughs) (laughs) going, whatever, man, fuck this. And just, yeah, and fucking off. Um, We uh, are introduced to Billy at his school where he is running. Now, Billy is uh, a bit of a jock, and he is running for class president. And uh, his classmate is desperately struggling to get anyone to buy into his campaign. (laughs) He's like... He he literally says, you're just using athletics to get the vote of these morons. And Billy's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, especially and everyone just stands up and claps. It's like, Billy for class president. Yeah, it's huge uh, San Dimas high school football rules, I feel, where it's like, you know, Billy's girlfriend, who is a blonde cheerleader who could be any blonde cheerleader, literally opens the debate by, like, warming up the crowd for Billy by doing a big cheer and then you sort of get um, the the little wiener boy. His name is Martin, um, and he's just like, "Whatever, man! Like you're you're not even smart. These are morons." And he's like, "Yeah, well, you lost the moron vote." Um, now, Martin, the wiener boy, and I have to point this out. This I've I've decided that in my heart, this movie is a dark origin story for Ben Shapiro, <laughs> where it's just so the fact that Martin is shunted. That's actually the birth of Ben Shapiro <laughs> being a. A, yeah, amorphous flesh blob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ben Shapiro was shunted in the movie in the movie Society, and he just emerged from a flesh pit to t- <laughs> tell us that actually racism doesn't exist. Um, we, you know, you sort of figure out early on that there's something off with Billy's family, and actually, I would kind of pair this movie with uh, the movie Terror Vision, where. It's like late 80s, high contrast, everything looks like an EC comic got run through a blender, and your parents are weird. Um, Yeah, and there really was a good cycle of my parents are weird in the late 80s, because we also had parents and uh, the flesh-eating granny movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, we had had The Stuff, which I think the movie The Stuff has one of my favorite ever deliveries, where the dad in this family, they've all got the, like, the, the stuff in a tube, and it's turning them all into monsters, and... The father just looks at him and the camera does a close up and he says, it kills the bad things inside of us. And then smiles a huge grin. <laughs> I think about it kills the bad things inside of us a lot. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, his family is weird. His mother is, I mean, how would you describe the way these rich parents act? They act like supervillains. Yeah. They act like Lex <laughs> Luthor. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just... They care about nothing. They're just like, ah, yes, we have more money than we know what to do with. And we're spoiled for choice on our life of leisure. Uh, Whatever do we do? And they're like, that's cute, Billy, that you, you know, think that 
uh, something's up. It's cute that you uh, go to therapy with your free time. <laughs> um, now we're going to go on the uh, in the solarium and burn uh, $500 bills. <laughs> I mean, if you can't burn your $500 bills in the solarium, where can you? I, and, and the parents, that's how you know that he's not actually of them is because he doesn't have a villainous haircut. Like, in contrast to his father's, like, mayor of Whoville haircut, uh, <laughs> Billy is rocking, like, a soft, uh, subtle, tasteful mullet. Um, and they keep talking about these society events where they're like, you know, like the, your, your sister's coming out party, which is which is weird to me because I always thought it was called a, like a debutante party. Yeah, it's like a cotillion or a debutante. Coming out is, I mean, this is probably a result of a screenwriter not knowing what it's called <laughs> and not looking it up first but you know it was 1989 so i'll give him a pass yeah yeah that's true you know what yeah it was it was the wild west nobody knew what things were yet um but we get our first bit of body horror which i fucking love this shot where uh billy is walking into a room where uh i think it's his sister taking a shower yes it's his sister showering and there's also this weird edible thing, which is actually addressed directly later in the movie. Oh, it's dude, that's that's load bearing incestual vibes, <laughs> incestuous vibes. Like it's this movie is like weirdly now it's a thing that I love and appreciate is that this movie is going like, you know, rich people, what if they're incestuous cannibals? And I'm like, yeah, I buy that. Um and yeah, and yeah, like those vibes are throughout. And he, you know, he walks into the room where there's, and because, you know, it was the late 80s, we got that frosted glass in the mix. You want to have that on your shower. Um, you know, that's funny because growing up in the early 90s, our bathroom definitely had a frosted glass shower door. Man, it's, we couldn't get enough, you know what it is? And this movie is rife with both. In the late 80s, early 90s, we could not get enough of frosted glass and glass blocks in big walls. Yes. <laughs> like, we just, we gotta have those. Uh, and also, everything is pink. And he walks into the bathroom, and for a moment, uh, it looks like we are able to see both her butt crack and her boobs, like her spine has twisted round the wrong way. It's a very Rob Liefeld uh, <laughs> moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to make sure that both her butt and boobs are visible in the same shot. We're not going to see her feet, because he doesn't know how to draw feet. Uh, but we do need to see both both of those. And so Billy goes, hey, that's not normal. And he throws the, the shower door open. And his sister with a normal body is like, what the fuck are you doing, you pervert? And he's like, oh, Jesus. And, you know, she shuts the door. But this is how you know something is possibly askew in this movie that's directed by Brian Yuzna. The Faustian Nonsense Network is here to help you produce your... Horny radiation. <laughs> Yeah, like it looks, it looks sticky, and I don't know if that's just like the house style for the late '80s, but like you feel like if you touched a frame of this movie, your hand is coming away with a film on it. Now I'll tell you, a lot of that has to do with Screaming Mad George, because it it is like a uh, special effects requirement to just add a layer of goo on top of everything. Oh, yeah, that's exactly it. And also Screaming Mad George, who uh, I remember watching the documentary for the Nightmare on Elm Street series because he, he worked on part for uh, the Dream Master, the one that Rob Anglin was like shilling for to uh, video chains. Uh, and Screaming Mad George is on the documentary about it, and he is the giggliest little dude who I want to be best friends with. We've talked about him before on the podcast with the, uh, the, the makeup competition. Yeah, yeah, and even in that, he's just, 
pleased as punch every time he's talking. Yeah. Um, there was, I can't remember which video it was. I've watched so many. But there was an interview where he's talking about his punk band. And he's like, yeah, and this is where we're all in costumes. And I uh, sexually assault the alien monsters, but then they have their revenge on me, and they impale me with their eyeball tentacles. And he's like giggling and just smiling the whole time. I would, I would die on a battlefield for screaming Mad George. <laughs> like he is exactly, I think, the kind of ghoul we should all aspire to be, which is like wouldn't hurt a fly, friendly, helpful, super excited about upsetting visuals. It's very Junji Ito to me. Yes, Junji Ito. And Screaming Mad George have the same uh, vibe. <laughs> yeah, very cheerful, very upsetting visuals. Um, and we, so uh, another thing that I love about the rich people in this movie is that we, at all times, when we're around uh, Billy's family, we hear like stock classical music, like not good classical music, just like the kind of classical music you're going to hear in like a Macy's or something. Yeah, the kind of classical music that is. Uh... In the public domain, so you can just do whatever you want with it. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, uh, this this movie does make prominent use of the Blue Danube Waltz, which we're going to talk about. That's It's just, it's a it's a thing of incredible They beauty. write their own lyrics to, to it. Yeah, they, they rewrite the lyrics to the, uh, the Eton Boating Song, which is apparently the school song for Eton School in England. Um, this movie, yeah, like, I love so much of it that it's the horror version of that bit in Parks and Rec, where it's like... Uh, Chris Pratt and uh, Aubrey Plaza being like, the economy! <laughs> and it's like, these are rich people. This is what we imagine rich people to look like. Um, now, there's another dude in the mix who is, I think, supposed to have been dating Billy's sister, who we find out has been planting bugs in the house, like, like listening bugs. Yeah, like weird pervert with listening bugs all in this house. Yeah, and I mean, this dude is for sure lurking in the closet like a pervert at one point in the movie where she's getting undressed and he pops out like, nah, it's me. And she's like, Jesus. And he gets kicked out of the house. Um, now, this movie also, I got to say, they must have found the perfect house in like Beverly Hills to shoot this. The entire thing looks like fucking Buckingham Palace by way of married with children. Yeah, it's it's... It's such a McMansion, even though McMansions didn't hit their peak for another, like, ten years. It's definitely the start of that. Yeah, it looks like a Cheesecake Factory threw up. Like, I <laughs> I feel like they must have spent most of the budget on gold leaf for all of the, like, sconces and fixtures in this thing. Um, the house is also, the way it's shot, it's just, like, it really hammers home for me that rich people are not good at decorating because, like... If you had infinite money, you could have comfortable things and nice things. And, like, so much of this house is, like, it's like the house from Beetlejuice, <laughs> where it's just, like, you can't use modern art as furniture. Like, it, it just, it looks, it looks bad. But I I, th I feel like that's totally supposed to be on purpose because rich people are a different species, so who knows what the fuck they would like? Yeah, it's pretty. It's a very uh, proletariat movie in that sense. It just has an ambient uh, disdain for the upper class. <laughs> Same. Uh, now, what's so the the bugs that uh, I forget his name and it doesn't matter. Jim the pervert. Uh, the bugs that Jim the pervert planted in the house. We eventually find out uh, upon listening to the recording that he made of it that you hear uh, the the father, the the wife, and the sister all candidly talking about like. You know what's going to happen at, at the coming out ball? You know, 
first the dining and then the copulation and we're all gonna fuck and then you know we get these horrible schlorpy macaroni and cheese sounds and somebody screaming and people laughing and fucking um it sounds like a little sliver of erotic hell and i'm i'm here for it yeah i'm i'm very into it because it's it's foreshadowing for what's about to happen at the end of this movie yeah but what's great is billy plays this tape to his therapist and his therapist says you gotta follow the rules of society <laughs> well yeah well because like he he turns the tape into the therapist and he's like you know here you gotta listen to this and then he comes back and the therapist is like you're out of your fucking mind and he's like what and he plays it back and it's like you know what's gonna happen after the after the coming out ball we're going to have dinner oh boy i like dinner and it's like obviously doctored and so at this point you know the therapist is like that's un- that's first of all unethical that you would bug your parents' house. You got to follow the rules of society, um, which immediately tells you that Brian Yuzno was on that Rosemary's Baby shit for this movie. Yeah. Like so good. Like when it comes to sort of paranoia and gaslighting, like almost everybody in this movie you find out is sort of on the take. Uh, except for his best friend, uh, his name is Milo, and he's like the only one of the only other people in this thing that's like, what the fuck is going on with rich people? Uh, and he is just sort of an all-around kind of gopher for Billy. Like, he's a true sidekick. Yeah, so uh, the other thing I like is um, <laughs> there. his therapist is like, that's it, I don't want to do this. Dr. Cleveland's like, I don't want to do this, Billy, but I'm going to put you on meds so he puts them on like anti uh psychotics right well although i'm i'm also kind of inclined to believe that these might actually be psychotics um because you know obviously because we're on that rosemary's baby shit like of course the doctor uh who does not in fact have your best interest at heart i i feel like he's probably like slipping him a mickey or something like he's yeah 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 something to either keep him out of his mind or keep him docile um and so every every adult in this movie is kind of uh, the fix is in sort of from from the top of the movie. Now the main enemy, uh, the antagonist of this film, I feel, is a guy called Ferguson, which is such a top notch yuppie villain name. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Because Ferg, you know what it is? It's one of those names that sounds really good to curse. Like ah, Ferguson. <laughs> um, and Billy says the word Ferguson, like, um, like it's like he's trying to sell an action figure to the viewers of this movie named Ferguson so that everybody remembers the name. Um, and Ferguson is one of his classmates who is just a son of a bitch. Yeah, just a real jerk. And and we also, if you didn't have any doubts, the fact that Ferguson is being groomed to take the big internship this summer is like, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this guy, he's got, and God bless the actor who plays Ferguson. He just has a, well, what's the German word? Backpfeifengesicht, where it's like a face in need of a fist. Like you just, you want to, you want to hit this guy. And he just spends most of the movie needling Billy. And then, you know, at, at one point in the movie, um, he so Billy goes to this party, this big, this big rager full of um, all of these other young people who are all kind of giving him the side eye because he doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't belong with this crowd. And Ferguson uh, just straight up tells him like, "Yeah, I fucked your sister," and then everyone else was so turned on by it they fucked your sister too. And you know they kind of get into a, a slap fight, like a little a little baby fight. <laughs> um, it is the tiniest little fight I've ever seen, and it's great. Um, but at this point, I. Uh, 
Billy is being led astray from his cheerleader girlfriend for uh, a society lady named Clarissa. Now, Clarissa kind of looks like uh, Regine Dandridge from Fright Night 2. Like, she's kind of got femme fatale vibes, I think. Yeah, she's got that great uh, late 80s asymmetrical updo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That haircut rules. Like, honestly, her sense of style in this movie is great. And we have to talk about Clarissa's mother. Oh, please, let's talk about Clarissa's mother. How this would, is Carlin, how would, who's played by uh, absolute saint in my books, Pamela Matheson. Because oh, yeah. Pamela Matheson was handed a script where she basically had to be the Tor Johnson of this movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, completely. Like she has to be the 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 monster heel of of society. Like she's now she her affect is kind of I would describe it as like uh, John Travolta in Hairspray a little bit, a little bit, <laughs> like just sort of giddy in a way. Um, but she sort of veers between that and lurching and just being like, which you know, it's like she's on like pills or something. Um. You, you sort of immediately, even if you didn't know that this was going to be a body horror movie already, you kind of look at this character and you're like, oh, this is a body horror movie. <laughs> yeah, something terrible is going to happen. This uh, lobotomized mom is foreshadowing for well, something else. And the thing is, she's a perfectly lovely looking lady, but the way they use the makeup on her, like it was applied by a cruel child who doesn't understand how <laughs> makeup works. Um, and yeah, and so Clarissa and, uh, you know, she kind of seduces Billy and they're, you know, so we, we get a sex scene, one of a number of sex scenes we get in this motion picture. Uh, and now a thing happens in the sex scene where, you know, he is, uh, on, on the bottom, Clarissa is on top, which, all right, great. Gender equality for 1989. She's on top. Um, and then we see everybody's arms and then another third arm with nail polish slides across her back. And Billy freaks out and, like, bats it away. And he's like, yeah, and, like, jumps off the bed. Um, and it looks like her body is the wrong way. And then he looks again, and she's, like, normal. And, like, hey, what the fuck's your problem? Yeah, and she's like, what's going on? And then they're interrupted by Mrs. Carlin lurching into the room. <laughs> which is basically, like, a racer head and the mom just being like, man, like, coming in. Uh, which also, I kind of love this arm, though, because I'm thinking of all of the erotic fanfic I've I've read in my life where, like, you read a sex scene kind of written by people who don't know how to do, like, sex choreography, and you're like, wait a goddamn minute. So how is his arm reaching around through his legs and up over his shoulder? Is this an octopus? <laughs> Like, this is, I'm going to think about this movie every time I see an instance of not knowing what bodies are doing during sex scenes in, in fiction. Um, now, so at this point, he has cheated on his cheerleader girlfriend who, uh, she kicks him to the curb, right? Yeah, yeah. But at this point, also Billy, um, and I in a scene that I cannot totally explain, uh, finds a naked blow-up doll in his Jeep with a Barbie doll in its mouth. You know, like is in everyone's jeep. <laughs> what was the idea? Who? Why? Why did they put it in the jeep again? I guess it's just goof em ups. But <laughs> I, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's you know, it, Jupiter eating his son, basically. <laughs> like, sure, <laughs> awesome. Uh, we get you know a bunch of uh, sort of scenes of like familial you know Derm and Strang between Billy and his terrible incestuous family. Uh, and he's like, whatever, you're not even my real mom and dad, probably, as foreshadowing. And the mom is like, Billy. And then he says to the dad, fuck you, butthead. 
which <laughs> I love because like, okay, so you started up at the top with fuck you, like, all right, dropping the hard F and then calls him butthead as a, as a thing. And it's like, all right, that was a curveball. I didn't see that next word coming, but go on then. And this is also, by the way, foreshadowing for, I think, the most iconic moment from this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> now, yeah. I wanted, I'm desperate to know if the dialogue or the special effects came first in that. Uh, I'm... I'm going to give you one guess, and the first one doesn't count like this is. <laughs> yeah, obviously, it must have started with, we're going to do this crazy special effect and find a way to, to work back from it. Um, now, Billy is out in the valley or somewhere, and uh, Martin, the nerdy wiener boy, um, gets his throat slit, we think, uh, and he finds the body, and he's sort of pursued by society ghouls? Yeah, it it's just, you know, chafes... It's time for a chase scene in this movie, so we get one. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. They were like, uh, Brian Yuzna had a dartboard with different things like studying, montage, uh, makeover, chase scene, and then it just happened to land on chase scene. Um, the plot of this movie doesn't really doesn't really exist, strictly speaking, and it's fine. Um, but so the therapist is just sort of becoming more and more obviously like I'm trying to control this kid. Uh, and eventually, you know, he, uh, so Billy shows back up to the, uh, class president debate and he is like, Martin is dead. I saw his body. He, he has gone heels to Jesus. He has assumed room temperature and he's delivering this to the auditorium. And then at this moment, of course, of course, uh, Martin walks out on stage and he's like, yeah, rumors about my death have been greatly exaggerated. Yeah. And they're like, sorry, we goofed you. It was all a big practical joke. Yeah, yeah, the, which I, I feel like you can only use that as an excuse, like, a few times before your yeah, mark over is... over and over and over again. Yeah, by the sixth goof, I'm like, what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> like, stop. Stop with these japes. My parents are my parents are super villains. Please, the caprice, it's too much. My sister is a Rob Liefeld drawing and my life is in disarray. Please stop pranking me. Um, and so we eventually figure out uh, that uh, it's almost kind of like a uh, an H.P. Lovecraft thing where it's like, you know, he shows up and the, and the parents, uh, they're all there with all of the adults at the house and he's like, it's like a Twilight Zone moment where he realizes that, like, oh, no, there's conspiracy. And they, you know, sort of tell him that, like, oh, people like us have always been here with people like you. Like, we're not from the stars. Uh, we've been consuming the flesh of the poor as long as there have been rich and poor. Um, I've seen movies that use subtlety and they're fucking cowards. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're literally we're literally eating you uh, poor people. Which, okay, so... Where does Billy come from then? That, that's never really satisfactorily explained. Yeah, I they never they never feel the need to do it. I feel like mostly it would be like maybe we took a drive down to Pasadena and swiped a kid from a cradle or something. Like I don't know. Or like Billy is a step kid. Yeah, yeah, like maybe through marriage or something, or like maybe one of the parents was normal and then they got societyized or something. Can you I... can you be nouveau riche in this world? Like, can you start out as not a society person and get married into the family? I I don't think so. I think the as usual, there's always going to be a conflict between 
uh, eldritch aliens <laughs> and the nouveau riche. Yeah, they've all got they've all got all these like rituals meant to uh, embarrass the nouveau riche. Where it's like, oh, you have to make a certain slurping noise while you're eating the poor, or else everyone knows that you're nouveau riche because you don't know the secret handshake. <laughs> it's like wearing white after Labor Day. Um, oh gosh. Oh yeah. So How gosh? Um, I realized that Billy reacts this entire movie. He does no acting of his own accord. It's just reactions to things that happened to him. Oh, completely. And actually, and in that vein, uh, during this big party scene, he is led around on a little leash that's like a giant stick just attached to a, a, a leash around it's his neck. It's one of those dog catcher sticks. Yeah, I think I've run in enough pervert circles to look at that and go like, oh, that's like a spreader bar or something. But it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a big stick with a, with a it, it's a stick and hoop, right? Uh, and yeah. he's being sort of led around. Um, there's a guy that they now. All right. And now we're getting to the reason this movie exists, which is the shunting scenes. Um, now, these are now the lighting for these is all like orange and red. Like everybody looks like they are in uh, Caligula's furnace. <laughs> um, and we get now, I think one of the most enduring images from this movie that I can think of is that, uh, they've got this guy sort of on the ground while the blue Danube waltz is playing. Uh, and, and it is, uh, the quest president again. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Of course it's him. Uh, and you know, all of their mouths are sort of like solidifying to his body and stretching off so that they kind of look like unholy meat anteaters. Um, and then the judge, uh, who, by the way, never takes that cigar out of his mouth, which I just appreciate so much on a consistency level. Um, yeah. Now, as they're all eating him, his body is just turning into human Laffy Taffy. Uh, the judge uh, says something like, bottoms up or something, or we're going to get to the bottom of this. And shoves his hand up Martin's butt. Shoves it up his butt through his body, and you see it moving through his stomach and out through his mouth. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, how arm work? How make arm work? <laughs> like, is this is my guy a fucking silverback gorilla with this arm that's that long that it can reach up from his butthole to out of his mouth? Anyway, it's a great image, and I'm here for it. Uh, and they just eat the shit out of this guy. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Uh, and also... I appreciate there's a shot of a dude's undercarriage just flopping out in front of God and everyone while everybody's getting naked and fucking and eating this guy. Um, this is a motion picture. Uh, and then at this point, Billy, uh, because Clarissa, who is one of the society people, but she's got a soft spot for Billy. Yeah, so so she leads him uh, away. I also love that at this point, Billy's parents and sister are like, you know what time it is. It's time to go up to the bedroom. <laughs> it's incest time. And so they, now Billy walks in, his mother is, has arms for light. Now the, the next bit is going to sound like uh, a disturbed eight year old describing a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, his mother has arms for legs. His sister I, is like a weird, like meat tumbleweed of limbs. And, you know, and they're all sort of saying creepy family stuff at him. And at this point, by the way, uh, we get, for me, the high spot of the movie, which is his father, parentheses, the butthead. Um, we see a butt and legs pop out with the father's head emerging from the anus. Yeah, and he says, 
Hey, son, I guess I am what you call a uh, butthead, huh? <laughs> Why am I hearing that in the voice of Superintendent Chalmers? <laughs> well, yes, I guess I am a butthead. And he, yeah, and they're all like laughing. They're hooting and hollering, having a great time being unholy abominations against our Lord. Uh, and, you know, we get this we get this sort of monologue from the judge where he's like, yes, we're rich people. We are descendant from Julius Caesar and Genghis Khan, which, parentheses, Genghis Khan, this is a strictly white people event. What what on earth are you talking about? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's nothing. This is nothing. Uh, but at this point, Ferguson uh, pops up, and all of the rich people are like, kid fight! And they, like, <laughs> make these two teens fight each other. And for most of this fight, uh, I think uh, Ferguson is kind of mopping the floor with Billy. Yeah, he's like whipping the mother-loving shit out of Billy. And you're like, oh, Billy's going to die. But then he has his comeback moment and he fucking puts his hand up Billy like a cheap Kermit the Frog puppet. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, it's, it's the best baby face comeback sequence I've ever seen. Uh, he uh, jams his hand into his stomach and then sort of snakes his hand up through his head um, hooks his thumb out the mouth, the fing- his uh, index and middle finger pop the eyes out of Ferguson's head, and they, they, ma- they make a scrunching fist motion, and then they yank real hard, and he pulls Ferguson's body goddamn to inside out. Um, and it's just filled with worms, too. <laughs> oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like uh, uh, the inside of a Halloween jack-o'-lantern on no- November 4th. Um, just like guts everywhere, and it's just it's dis- it's it's disgusting. Um, and at this point, I've realized that like I think that the the red and orange lighting in this scene really does this movie a favor because like the effects were already fucking great, but with this lighting, you know, you can't really see any, you can't really see the seams in the people suits. Um, yeah. it looks genuinely like this shit is happening in a way that I, I also really think appreciate. the the goop how they just had a you know, paint bucket filled <laughs> with syrup and just started slathering people. I think they also, the liberal application of slime helped to, to mask all the scenes. <laughs> yeah, just a, a healthy ladle of caro syrup over every shot in this movie. Um, I love that the judge turns back to a human for a moment and he's like, he says, of course, I'm getting too old for this because it's 1989. <laughs> oh, we were having a cultural moment with him. Getting too old for this shit. <laughs> he also has so much goop on him that it almost extinguishes his cigar. Man, it actually, this was my mo- the most impressive thing to me is that he kept the cigar lit throughout this scene, which is like, there wasn't a dry seat in the house. Like, everybody is covered in goop. Uh, but at this point, you know, Billy, you know, you're kind of thinking, okay... What's Billy? He's pulled one of you inside out. Clearly, you know, you're monsters, but you're not invincible. Maybe Billy could be the, and nope, he's gone. He's fucking, he's he's getting the fuck he, out of here. He gra- it's a very The Graduate moment. He grabs his Elaine, and they run for the bus. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and his, his buddy Milo, who, while I really love Milo as a character, has no business surviving this motion picture. No, he just shows up. Uh, Clarissa's mom has helped uh, beat up a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he punches out his dad, and he, you know, gets that parting shot of him going 
butthead. And then leaves again, and it's like, but you didn't do anything. You just punched (laughs) him. Like, and then I don't understand why the rest of these body horror monstrosities don't just block the door and go like, all right, well, good job turning Ferguson into a sock puppet. Think you can take on 30 of us? <laughs> like, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. He he should not be, he should not be leaving in this way. But yeah, so he he fucks off with uh, Milo and Clarissa. They, they, they get in the Jeep and they take off for parts unknown. And then the, the society goopsters... We get this little moment of the judge going like, well, I guess we'll need to find someone new for that internship. And the credits roll. Um, yeah. Man. It's, is it trying to be the graduate in that like, oh, these crazy kids, who knows what they're going to do next? Or is it like, is it really believing that like he saved the day or, or did they just... <sighs> Were they like all we needed to do was get to that uh, set piece, so now we're done? Like, what? Oh, yeah. You know what I think? It, you know what I think it was? I think it was they they finished that final segment with the eyes popping out of the skull and the scrunching and the pulling inside out. I'm I'm entirely convinced they finished that. They had the rap party, and then somebody with like a, a solo cup full of wine at this party was like, "Oh God damn it, we forgot to film the ending!" And then they were like, <laughs> "Oh shit! All right, hey guys, sorry, it's me, Brian Yuzna. You're gonna have to come back in on Saturday and stand around. Don't worry, there won't be any stunts because he's not gonna kill any of the characters. He's just gonna like." pull a French goodbye and slip out the door and, and fuck off. And all we got to do is film him driving away. So sorry guys. Uh, I, you know, if you want to go home and take like 30 showers, come back fresh as a daisy and we'll film this non ending. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm entirely convinced. Now this is not a good movie because I want to say a good two thirds of it is me being like, when are they going to get to the goop factory? But in a way though, I don't feel like it's beholden to any standards of being a good movie because here's the thing surrealism yeah it's it's definitely that it's that approach that i was warned against in my college creative writing classes Uh where if you go surreal there is no longer a uh metric for what is good because (laughs) you can just argue that it's weird because there isn't logic (laughs) So yeah. my professors are always like, don't fucking do it. It's not good. Yeah. And actually, you know what it it's is? It's all a crazy dream is actually the worst thing you can do when <laughs> writing something. Yeah. And honestly, what it is, you can do that if you are David Lynch. Like, if, if you are fantastically interesting and you've got, like, a level of, like, craft and you've got something to do and something to say, then, like, yeah, do surrealism. Uh, House of Leaves is great. You know, I really like Bridge of Birds. Uh, surrealism can be done well, but I, th- I feel like for most people, it's like, eh, don't, don't, it's not going to pay off. Like, don't, it's like doing Beyonce on Snatch Game in RuPaul's Drag Race, where it's just yeah, like, just don't do it. Yeah, that way lies, it's not going to work. It's not going to work and you're going to look stupid. Uh, So speaking of it's not going to work, you're going to look stupid and it was all a crazy dream. At number 93, uh, we have Phantasm 2, which, (laughs) as you know, did a previously on Phantasm and then said, oh, that was all a crazy dream and never happened. Um, Which do you think is better, Phantasm 2 or Brian Yuzna's Society? I think Phantasm 2 is better because it takes a batshit 
Phantasm as a franchise is just surrealism. Yeah, yeah. Just creepy surrealism. And now... But... Oh, please. It it works in a way because it does not take itself seriously at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because it's... One of its main protagonists is an ice cream man with a skullet. <laughs> <laughs> that the movie takes pains to tell us as a sex god. <laughs> like, he's, this guy is just pulling left, right, and center with this skullet. Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Like, this is... The thing is that Don Coscarelli is no David Lynch, you know, but... The fact that that entire series is just surrealist horseshit, I've seen all of those movies like at least five times each, uh, and I'm probably yeah. going to watch them a few times more. Like, they shouldn't work, but there's some kind of weird magic on those movies that I'm willing to look at it and be like, yeah, sure, it's bullshit that the first movie never happened. Also, it's got a disco version of the Phantasm theme over the top of it, so we're off to the races. Um, and so- yet, society is a whole lot of fun. It's oh, not... Yeah. A, it's not as bad as some things I've seen, which oh, is yeah. not saying much. Well, now here's the thing: uh, I love the movie Society, and I think I love. And now, and I will admit my my uh, uh, blind spots: if a movie takes place in the late '80s, like the late late '80s, dollars to donuts, I'm going to love it and want to put it higher up the list because there's something about that period of time that I just. It's like right before everybody went, oh, Jesus, it's the 90s. We all got to cut our hair and stop believing in Reaganomics. And like there's something about like the rot of American empire during that period that it's just like everything got so much around the late 80s that it absolutely had to die. Um, Yeah. So there's that. Uh, Looking down the list a little bit, uh, Quincy, at number uh, 119, we have Troll 2, um, which is... As you know, a, a classic, you know, bad movie that everybody loves. Um, which do you think is better, Troll 2 or Society? You know, if I'm just thinking of the impact on Tumblr circa 2011, uh-huh. I'm going to say Troll 2. Yeah, I've had a tr- I've, I've been I've I've had a Troll 2 party where we ate green cake. I've never same, had yeah, same. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've never had a society party where we all got naked and basted and started fucking. <laughs> Like, that's not, yeah. So looking down the list a little bit, uh, at number 139, if we're talking about gonzo horror movies, we've got Gremlins 2, The New Batch, which do you think, yeah, yeah, which I feel like is kind of a boss battle on the list. Um, Yeah. I feel like I want to give the edge to Gremlins 2. Absolutely. Now, Brian Yesna and Screaming Mad George's Faust Love of the Damned is at number 256. Oh, yeah. Which is. Did they have a chance to make a better film when they when they recollabed in the 2000s with Faust? Yeah. And also, uh, Faust is another like of its time movie that could not look more like the early, early 2000s. Um, I feel like I want to give the edge to society just because, like, Faust Love of the Damned is a whole lot of fun, and I enjoyed the shit out of it, but there are so many, I hate to say it, but iconic images from the movie Society that I'm like, look, even if this is just, like, a special effects man's demo reel, it's a fucking good one, and it yeah. it works on levels that it shouldn't necessarily. Now, right above Faust is Guyver Dark Hero, which is uh, directed by Screaming Mad George. Ooh, all right. You know what? I actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stake, I'm gonna stake my claim on this. I'm gonna stake my my dubious reputation. 
I think Giver Dark Hero is better than Society because it has a more coherent plot and because it... You know, with the movie Society, you kind of just already expect it to swing for the fences because it's a movie about weird incest cannibals uh, murder-fucking at parties. Um, but, you know, Giver Dark Hero, I didn't know what to expect, and it surprised and delighted me in a way that with Society, I was kind of like, yes, this makes sense. This is the movie Society. Um, but right below Giver Dark Hero is Chopping Mall, which I feel like doesn't go hard enough. See, that's where I would disagree. And and mm-hmm. quick correction, um, Guyver Dark Hero was directed by Steve Wang, who is a contemporary of Screaming Mad George. Screaming Mad George directed the first Guyver. Oh, there we go. So yeah, but still, I think Guyver Dark Hero is the better. Yeah, here actually, do you want to uh, let's let's take that from the from the top? Yeah. Now we have another tangentially related movie to uh screaming mad george guyver dark hero which is the sequel to guyver directed by steve wang but um screaming mad george directed the first one and did a lot of the the um, designs and those are carried over to the second movie yeah and it looks like body horror sentai like this is absolutely you know steven uh or steven screaming mad george just you know trying to do that um and yeah like i don't know which do you think is better guyver dark hero or society I appreciate that Guyver Dark Hero takes a well-established, at that point, 40-year tradition of Mm -hmm. tokusatsu Japanese superhero shows and just turn the gore up to 11 Mm -hmm. uh, in a way that society is incomparable. (laughs) But, But not in a... For some reason, I want the... So you know how sometimes... Uh, you get a eight pack of Lacroix because it's a new flavor with a French name, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, pastique," and then you're like, "Oh, but that's French for watermelon, and watermelon is not a good choice for soda flavor." Oh no, never. But you know, I'm a mark for it because I'm like, "Ooh, the sophisticates choice." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just drinking it. I think yeah. it's the same thing where like Guyver is that actual you know flavor that you know you like and and society is the um (laughs) the thing you try out and is good but not as good as a a tangerine yeah completely agree now actually so looking up the list a little bit um right uh, above so at number 243 we have maniac cop 2 which is a perfectly fine movie that has a really good tie-in rap um, I'm, I actually, I, th- I, I feel confident saying a thing. Um, I feel like society is better than Maniac Cop 2 because it takes more dangerous chances and has more memorable set pieces where with like, with Maniac Cop 2, there's a really cool fire stunt, but that's like all I remember about it when I think about it. Um, and so I would give the edge to society, but right above that, a movie that I don't, every time I look at it, I want to cry because I don't know why it's so far down the list. But at number 242, we have Night of the Hunter. Um, and I I cannot in good conscience put Society above Night of the Hunter because Night of the Hunter is like a masterpiece. Like Yeah, it's very good. That movie is incredible in a way that I'm like, oh, fun, Society. But like Night of the Hunter, I yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think... Um... Between Night of the Hunter and Maniac Cop 2 is a good place for society. Which, again, 
it's better than Vampire's Kiss, so it could be doing a lot worse for itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. So yeah, so I feel I feel pretty good about that. So yeah, so coming in at our new number 243, uh, above Maniac Cop 2 and below Night of the Hunter is Brian Yuzna's Society. And guys, this is uh, currently streaming on Tubi, obviously, uh, the platform that we do not get paid by, but will shill every day until the day we sink to hell. <laughs> Uh, and for the low, low price of uh, advertisements for right-winger shows on Fox News, you can watch Brian Yuzna treat the human body like a toy. See, that's so interesting. I think that it has some sort of algorithm where it's using uh, area-targeted ads, because a lot of mine are like local car dealerships. <laughs> uh, that would make sense for the area where I live, that everybody's just, it's it's a it's pretty right-wing, right-wing area of California. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah, so I feel pretty good about that. Uh, Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Our listeners can go to our podcast network's website, FaustianNonsense.com, and there you can find links to a spreadsheet with the whole list annotated with which episodes we besmirch which films by name uh you can also uh get some merch from us and um you can also check out some of the other really cool shows on our network absolutely uh faustian nonsense has a lot of really good shit they have lavender tavern they you, you know jack of all trades you guys are, are gonna want to go check that out we also have a patreon where we talk about uh action movies and for five dollars you can have access to our bonus content uh even for two dollars you can have access to our notes where we mostly scream about uh, the effects in the movie society. Um, we are just about everywhere that you'd want to listen to us. We are on iTunes and Stitcher and uh, not on SoundCloud, though, because I guess fuck SoundCloud? I don't know why we're not on SoundCloud. Um, but yeah, so check us out there. We have uh, playlists on YouTube of tie-in raps, by the way, speaking of which, uh, for horror movies. Uh, if you look us up there, uh, so you're going to want to check... That's uh, Rankin Vilecast, and also that's the same as our Twitter handle, Rankin Vilecast. Yeah, and once again, guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we love doing the show every week, and we uh, if you have a show, a show, if you have a movie that you want us to talk about, that you're looking at our uh, exhaustive list of over 500 movies that we've done, and you're like... What the fuck? Why haven't you done Witchboard 3? Uh, please don't request that. You're going to send that to rankandvilecast at gmail.com or in our ask box on Tumblr at just rank and vile. Uh, but now, Witchboard 4? <laughs> oh, now we're. Witchboard 4, now we're talking. That's more, <laughs> that's more like it, Parker. Uh, but yeah, that's, a, that's about all I got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks.